Welcome everyone to season two of the E9 podcast. We are back. A 30 plus episode run through the PGA Tour, the Live Tour, the LPGA Tour, college golf, whatever you want to talk about golf wise, golf course design, golf trips, anything golf related equipment, you're going to have it here on the E9 podcast. We're excited to bring it to you. I'm Josh Flegel. We'll be joined by Mike Neal and co-host Hayden Copeland and a bunch of other guests throughout the year. And today in episode one, we're going to recap all the happenings earlier in this year and particularly the weirdness of John Rahm going to live and then live somehow becoming relevant very, very quickly uh, once he arrived on the scene. And then the craziness that was the Waste Management Phoenix Open this past weekend. And then we'll talk a little bit about the big cat coming back to the PGA Tour for his home event at Riviera this week. All coming your way next on the E9 Podcast, a production of Free Drop Media. I'm so excited to be joined once again by the great Michael Nealon. Mike, welcome back to the E9 Podcast. Thanks for joining us for Season 2. We'll be joined by Hayden Copeland also this year amongst some other guest hosts. But Mike, uh, how are you feeling about being back on the pod and... Um, How's your uh, your off season been as we kind of get ready for golf here in the spring of 2024? It is a uh, it is a dream come true to be back. I appreciate the opportunity. Looking forward to it. Uh, the off season has been not nearly as much golf as I've wanted, and I can't wait for the off season to end. And I think we're there. I think the off season, you know, the Super Bowl was yesterday, so I think we're in season. Would you agree? I, I totally right. That's why we timed it right here. We didn't start season. We didn't want to start season two during football season. You know, we respect those of you out there who want to get through the completion of the football season. We saw that last night, and we'll, we can just touch touch on that. Uh, any thoughts on the game last night? Any, uh, you know, you don't have to talk about your wagering, whether it went your way or not, but maybe just a little bit of a taste of what that looked like for you. Well, for those that tailed me last year, um, they'd be shocked to know that I actually won money last night. So... Uh, listen, Patrick Mahomes is is inevitable, right? It's like Thanos and the <laughs> Avengers. Um, if if Kansas City is within striking distance, he's going to do it. So I've, I've just kind of reserved myself to that fact as a Tom Brady fan that it is a very real possibility that he catches Brady, but I'm hoping are he they, doesn't. Are they starting to chisel the Mahomes into like the Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks? Is he starting to get chiseled right there next to Brady, or is it, are we one away from that? Well, Technically, he's four away from that, if you want to go by Super Bowl count. But yeah, I mean, listen, the guy's a game changer. Like, that Kansas City roster isn't anything to you know, write home about. And that dude just makes plays. Like, you can't you can't coach that. It's just, he makes plays. He makes plays. It was awesome to watch. And it does feel like the dynasty with three Super Bowls is a real thing now. And so, uh, it's funny, in golf, we talk about legacy and dynasties a lot with these guys. Uh, in football, you don't hear that as much, except you get the Brady's and the Montana's. And I think Mahomes is like in that conversation now. But what's not being talked about, Josh, and it's bizarre to me, is that Travis Kelsey, Andy Reid dust up on the sideline. Like that was so ridiculous. And I just can't re- like if that was Gronk and Bill Belichick, Gronk would be on the team bus. A hundred percent. I was but, shocked he went back in the game. I know this is not a football podcast. I can't believe that hasn't been like made more of. You know, like it's wild that that happened. And then they showed it once and didn't talk about it again. I don't know if that happened. Like you said, any other player and coach, that dude probably doesn't play again. He, he physically pushed him. Yeah, I'm, I'm concerned for Taylor. 
I was too. That's the first thing I thought is like, is this a concerning thing? Is this anger issues? Should be she watch that and be like, huh, maybe this is not the perfect mate. Uh, all right, we're getting we're getting off topic. Anyway, it was a great Super Bowl. I'm glad you came out ahead. Um, hopefully, you can you can kind of steer us maybe on some picks this year that will uh, help our listeners come out ahead as well. Um, I'm not going to talk about last year's track record because it's a new season of the E9 podcast, and uh, you're a new man. I feel like you're you're I'm, old, I'm older. I'm wiser. Older That's and wiser. Exactly right. Um, well, we're going to jump right into it. You know, we also um, are getting a late start. Uh, We'll get to what was actually the biggest sporting event in America yesterday. Um, at least it seemed like it, the Waste Management Phoenix Open, which was utter chaos for the last four days. Um, obviously, it doesn't uh, trump the Super Bowl, but man, it felt like it dominated pretty much all of the sports cycles um, on social media, in particular, the behavior of the fans in Phoenix. So we'll talk about that a little bit, but I want to very quickly look at the season that we've had already. You know, this year the PGA Tour has gone back to just the standard um, calendar year season. So 2024 started with the century. Um, some really interesting tournament results as we started the season. And starting with Chris Kirk um, winning it in Kapalua, always a fun event, a fun course to watch. I spent a lot of time watching that. I don't know if you saw any of these early season tournaments, but it was really, I mean, the golf was actually high quality. And of course, for signature events with huge purses you expect these guys to have their a games it didn't seem like vacation golf like it usually does no i agree and like it's always a treat to watch it right because it's the weather's beautiful the course is beautiful it gets you kind of spring on the mind season's beginning we can't all live in florida like you some of us are actually in the dead of winter i <laughs> know the move has been good for me climate wise um the other thing about the Hawaii events, of course, is you, you get to turn it on at, you know, eight o'clock at night after your kid goes to bed. You can catch a few holes while you're laying there, you know, falling asleep. And so that was always fun as well. So to see Chris Kirk win again, it felt like maybe it was a one-off last year with his victory. Uh, to see him back in the winner's circle, especially after the, the challenges he had um, with rehabilitation and, and coming back to the tour. And then the next week in the Sony Open, um, Grayson Murray um, he of the Roy McElroy telling him to play better in the, the players meeting when it came down to the, the, the pip money and, and the, uh, deals with, uh, with Saudi Arabia and, and all the cash that has been swung around. Uh, Grayson kind of spoke up at one of those player meetings and got himself into a verbal altercation with Rory that made its way into national news and Rory play better. Uh, and Grayson took the advice and he did. Um, but I think for my money, the tournament that was most interesting to me kicking off the season was the Amex out in Palm Springs. Nick Dunlap, the amateur from Alabama, kind of your neck of the woods there, Mike, um, US, U.S. amateur champion, a guy who has all the talent in the world. But, you know, being an amateur champion doesn't always equate to being a PGA Tour champion. But being the first man since Phil Mickelson in 91 uh, to win an, uh, a professional event as an amateur that Nick Dunlap story was awesome. And it, as we get into talking about Liv, it really feels like that's the type of story you're not going to see in Liv just because of the, the closed circuit of that field. But man, it was so cool watching him close that event. Did you have a chance to watch any of that? I mean, I was glued to the TV all day Sunday waiting for him to fall apart. I did, and I was thinking the same thing. I was like, when is this gonna uh, kind of honeymoon going to end? And it didn't. And it was Dude, fun to watch, right? He was stones, man. And like yeah. grinding out the six footer on the last hole to win. Do you what happens to you on that putt? If if somehow you're transported into Nick Dunlap's body right there to win a PGA event, what happens to you? You all right? I mean, do we have to get the the uh the, the uh defibrillator out? So the highest pressure putt I've ever had was in member member three years ago. Here we uh, go. I had had eight feet, right, to uh -huh. advance in the shootout. Um, made the shootout, no big deal. 
and I think I put it 18 feet by. Um, so I would imagine something similar would happen if I was in Nick Dunlap's uh, spot there on 18. Well, it, I'm not it, leaving it short. If his career, if there's any sort of parallel to what Phil Mickelson did, um, he might be someone on the map for a long time. But immediately the talk was after he wins, is he going to turn professional? And if he does turn professional, what type of you know number will the Saudis, the PIF, uh, will the live to or throw at him? And um, you know, it's still we're still kind of a waiting period to see what might happen with him uh, in his professional career. But he should be rejoining the tour. He's decided to move forward as a as a as a playing professional here in the next couple of weeks. Well, um, he did. He. Uh, I mean, we'll get to it, but he followed up that win with a dead last finish at Pebble. <laughs> that's right. So that's right. <laughs> maybe the Saudis are putting the checkbook away right now. Yeah, they might be hiding that. Um, we'll get to Pebble in a second. Uh, Tory Pines. Um, Usually a pretty fun, dramatic tournament. Not to saying that seeing a Frenchman win for the first time on tour wasn't dramatic, uh, but Matthew Pavone winning uh, at uh, Torrey Pines may have Who? been a little... Yeah, exactly. That's right. He actually a really good player from France, won on the DP World Tour last year. Um, a really... I don't want to say controversial win. There's some talk about you know uh, the lie he had on 18 and maybe was the shot he had on 18 to kind of seal the victory helped with uh, you know a little bit of stamping down Ella Patrick Reed of the lie. Well, I'm not going to get all that, but it was a great win. Really cool to see the international uh, flavor of the tour come through, You know, the first international winner of the year. Um, so Matthew Pavone. Um, but what really got interesting was the next week at Pebble, and uh, seeing Wyndham Clark shoot 60 at Pebble, a course that I love, probably my favorite golf course in the world, and seeing him almost cracked the 60 barrier out there was incredible, especially knowing that that was probably going to be the last round uh, that tournament would see this year. A little bit sad not to have a Sunday Pebble round, especially as the signature event for the first time. But Wyndham Clark back in the winner's circle after it was pretty clear that that tournament was going to be canceled. Um, you have any thoughts on Wyndham's event? I know you were pretty glued to the live, and I was too uh, that weekend watching the live tour um, and seeing those guys play um, pretty quality golf themselves, uh, especially one. Tell about what you saw from Wyndham Clark on sat- Saturday at Pebble. I mean, he was electric. Like, what? I forgot the stat, but it was like miles of putts the guy was making. Just couldn't miss. It was the best. I've never seen a putting performance like it. And, you know, they talk about feet made of putts. You know, he had like 125 feet of putts made like in the front nine. It was outrageous what he was doing. And he, and he just kept making them and making them. Um, and other than a, a, a really weird bogey on 12, which is, I think, one of the weaker holes in the golf course, I mean, he uh, he easily could have broken 60. Um, it's kind of fun to see him back in the winner's circle after the U.S. Open last year. I think a lot of people were waiting to see if he could follow that up, especially in light of the fact that the rumors about him going to live and him demanding maybe a number that Liv didn't want to pay him and then going out and winning a signature event may have justified the, the price tag that he was asking for, um, which kind of complicates you know, the whole legacy thing of Wyndham Clark as it is. But uh, it was really an awesome uh, event. But at the same time... Well, like, at one point at the AT&T, I think it was... It was Wyndham... Is it Aubert? Correct me here. They, I don't know. You Al- tell me. Aubert, Aberg, I think they've gone with Oberg. I think that's where we okay. are now. I think that's kind of... they've they've allowed, He's allowed the Americans to add the G on the end. We're going to go with that. Obeyed. The the savvy Swede. Uh Uh-huh. Who won last year, by the way, after our last podcast. So he is a tour winner now. And then I bashed Pavone, but he's sitting there at third. 
And then you kind of have to go down a few till you find another name. You got JT, Scotty. Um, but at the same time, that live leaderboard, you had Neiman, who was just firing on all cylinders. You had Sergio hot on his tail. You had John Rom, DJ, Brooks, Hatton, like Cam Smith. That's the top 10. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're looking at it on paper and you have no idea the different concepts between the tour and live, which one are you tuning into? That is such a good point because the, the top 10 in the, the live event was fantastic. And, you know, and obviously the, the news of it being Rom's first event, um, mm-hmm. you know, on live would obviously draw eyes to it. See how he'd perform. Would he dominate, you know, against guys who may have been kind of taken as Dustin Johnson admitted he did a few months off in the off season. Uh, but it clearly didn't look that way, man. That, it looked like it was guys playing really high quality golf. There's a 59 um, in there just to boot. Uh, it was a heck of a tournament. It's, and I think one of my takeaways from live so far has been, the more guys that go over to it, the higher caliber guys, like John Rom, right? It feels like it's everyone else's play steps up when those guys arrive. If you go back to the first few live tournaments, it was like, happy to be here. It's kind of a joke. Like you could tell you look guys like Brooks, DJ and DJ was winning, but he didn't like, he even made a comedy. He hasn't picked up a club in like four months. Right. And I think guys like Rom, they don't have that switch where they can just show up and play. I think that Rom, while he took the money, wants to still win for his, you could argue, tarnished, I don't argue that, legacy. And I think you're starting to see guys rise to the top there in that competitive field. And, and that's enjoyable, right? The, the team thing is not catching on, is even though Rom's team name is awesome, like Legion awesome. 13. Love it's it. awesome. Like, yeah. I mean, that sounds like a, you know, like a, the most elite military unit you've ever heard of that's going in, you know, special forces. Um, but the individual is compelling. Like it's it's fun to watch. It's good golf. The courses are, eh, you know, they're not too level I mean, in some was, cases. It's a tour course, right? Like that's a it's a course that yep. they've played tour events there. It's not like it, they're they're going to a muni and some of those courses last year really felt that way. This felt like this could be a real live thing when you watch it on TV. I watched the whole last round and um, it was a good quality golf too. I mean, Neiman um, obviously blew the doors off the place with a six uh, fifty nine in the first round, but Man, they, there are a lot of quality golf shots coming down the stretch, and you know Sergio making himself, you know, finally looking like the Sergio of old in a final round. It kind of felt a little important. I got to be honest with it, you. It did until, and if you uh, if you have the CW network to watch this thing, the music in the background, and this is a this was kind of a popular take, right? Is is you're trying to drum up drama, you're trying to set the scene. And in the back, you've got techno music just kind of echoing throughout the course. And I think that takes away from the moment or it lends credence to the people that are, you know, this thing's just a, a joke to show up and have a good time at it. They've got to figure out a way on the broadcast to drown that out, even if it's taking place in person. The broadcast, because the camera angles are great, but it's kind of growing on me. It feels more like a younger generation video game, but they show so many shots. Like there's yeah. not a lot of standing around talking. It's shot 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 so there's like, things that are growing on me there's still work to do but the quality of golf really can't be argued with at this point and i think we found last year and i mean i'm sure there's been some real solid statistical work done on this someplace i just haven't looked it up but it felt like when there was crossover when the live players and the pj tour players came together in majors the live players seem to have held their own pretty well. I mean, obviously, Kepka yeah. won a major last year. So it felt like there was not the drop-off I predicted 
Um, I'm still not convinced that the live tour is the place you're going to go to cut your teeth and get ready for major championship golf, but you can't hide talent, right? I mean, you're just not going to hide talent. We saw that with DJ. He won the live event this week. These are just really, really, in fact, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm don't think it's a, any sort of shocking thing to say the top end of Liv's talent pool is probably a little deeper than the top end of the tour talent pool right now. You know, DJ, but they're going to th- like you talk about um, Dunlap, right? These younger golfers cutting their teeth. Listen, the, I think the reason these more veteran guys are comfortable going to live is they have exemptions into the majors. They have either the world ranking, they have the wins um, to qualify and, and go play. A guy like Dunlap, and you know better than I do what winning the uh, uh, Amex gets you qualified into, but he, you're not going to get it on world rankings right now, the That's way right. it's set up. Um, and- so if you're a young golfer that hasn't won yet, you have no real choice if your goal is to go win a major or play in a major than to start on tour and play through the tour. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think that's and why I, the lower levels, like, like you know, we'll go back to the team format where you've got four golfers on a team and live. That's why those, like, four spots and three spots are like, who? Like, they're not good. It's not compelling names for the most part. It's um, really not. Um, Peter Euling finished third this last week, and, and he's a name that people be like, really? That guy's, you know, made, I think, like, $2 million for finishing third. And he's like, <laughs> he was as mediocre as it got on the PGA tour for a number of years. And it was a big name coming out of the college. And, but you're right. Like some of those names at the bottom, I don't know if Chase Kepka is still playing, but it was, he's not. It was, yeah. Okay. I was gonna say, his brother kicked guy. him off. <laughs> his brother didn't want him back. Yeah. That's, it's one step away from Giannis doing that same thing with Anassis on the Milwaukee Bucks, but it's similar. Um, let's touch on the live stuff in a minute. I don't want to, I do want to get yeah. to a couple of the notes. Cause I do think we have a longer conversation to take on as we look at 2024 and how we should maybe view live and how live should be viewed in the in the spectrum of the golf world. I know we both have opinions on that, but uh, just wrapping up kind of what the early season looked like, it's been really compelling golf. It's been kind of fun to be a fan if you follow it. And I know most of us don't. It's football season. Um, it's the dead of winter most places. Golf is a little bit off the mind, although it's nice to have on in the background, um, seeing nice weather and, and people enjoying themselves and live guys wearing shorts. Um I was able to, back in November, get out uh, and see some LPGA golf. Actually, my new house down here in Florida is about two blocks away from the Pelican Club. So I made it a little walk over to watch uh, the Annika for a couple days. And um, what a fun tournament. And and seeing um, the women up close and seeing the quality of their play obviously got me really excited for what the LPGA Tour is going to look like uh, as we get into the 2024 season. I do think their product might be one that might benefit from some of the, um, well, certainly the growth in the game, but also some of the... The numbers that are a little bit gross in the the men's game, um, the women's game just seems a little more pure. Um, and then you have the stars coming back in the in the LPGA Tour. Lydia Ko winning a couple weeks ago, one step away from the Hall of Fame. She's probably my favorite, um, one of my favorite golfers in the world. Full stop. Um, just really Why? fun to watch play. Um, her short game and her competitiveness is unbelievable. You know she. Um, she missed out on the the tour championship for the women last year and came back kind of this year really focused uh, on getting back to the top of the world. And uh, she's only 26 years old. You know, if she was a, a phenom when she was 18, 19, 20 years old, meant to number one in the world, kind of life happens and uh, had a couple lean years and going back and winning and then almost beating Nelly Corda the next week and having Nelly Corda back on top of the LPGA leaderboard is just another superstar. And that is also piggybacking 
again, we didn't have a podcast for this. We actually talked about potting last year during this, Mike, kind of kind of going, um, doing a quick podcast when uh, Lexi Thompson played in Vegas last year. Um, yep. Held her own. Held her own. And, and was really three holes away from making a cut in a men's event. Um, like, it was a legitimate thing. And and she's not playing the up tee. She's not play- she was playing the full set. Um, and watching her play at uh, at the Pelican and seeing how they hit the ball, they're not as far off ball striking wise as you know the men are. I mean, they certainly aren't aren't generating the club head speed and the ball speed, but they they have all the shots. Uh, I find the game really really interesting, except for one thing, and we're we'll talk about this later in the season during some of the LPGA majors. The pace of play is glacial. I mean, it's just the the men aren't always very fast, but they get to business. Going to a LPGA event in person can be just tedious because it is just so slow. Some of the ladies just. They're going to go at a glacial speed. They're going to get input from the caddy a hundred different ways, and that's a little bit of a frustration is the amount of say some of the, the caddies have in the women's game is like, man, I mean, Greller, you know, and, and Jordan Spieth, you think that's a, you know, pretty back-and-forth relationship. Some of these caddies in the women's tour actually just call the shots for the women. So anyway, you know, they're there, but I do think the LPGA is positioned to have a really big year, especially if you see some of these stars coming back to the top. And, of course, you got Rose Zhang uh, in her first full season as a pro. Um, you have, uh, you know, uh, Nelly Korda, um, like I said, coming back and, and winning an event after uh, an injury-laden year last year, Lexi Thompson uh, playing in men's events. I just think it's a fun product. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm going to go to a couple other events this year. We don't have to talk much about it now because there's a lot of things to talk about. Um, and we haven't mentioned Rory yet, but Rory's been playing a lot of international golf. He won a tournament in Dubai, the Hero Classic. He won a few weeks back. Um, Tommy Fleetwood win in the in the DP World Tour this year. And so you see some of these names early in the season playing really good golf. And we're still, you know, we're seeing the Masters commercials, but, you know, we're still almost two months to the Masters, a little less than two months to the Masters. But we see some pretty quality golf being played. We see some golf being played at high levels by guys we haven't seen play at high levels in a couple of years. Spieth is having a really good season thus far. Uh, had a good run at the Waste Management this weekend. Um, Justin Thomas seems to be pretty much yeah. back in form. He, he's, he's got like three rounds of tur- a tournament that he's got re- going really well and one that kind of fizzles a little bit. I think Thigala is on the cusp of being great, you know, a guy who's finally consistently at the top of leaderboards like he should be. Sam Burns having a really good start to the season. Uh, Scotty Scheffler, who can do everything except put the ball in the hole. Um, I mean, watching him this past week was painful. We'll talk about him in a minute. Uh, Zal Torres being back. So I do think there are some some upside to the PGA Tour, and I want to talk about the Tour itself in a few minutes. But it does feel for February – like, we are seeing quality that we typically don't see in the past, which I think is setting us up for a really good season. Uh, would you what agree? About, um, I do. And I, I think Zalatoris, that that comeback is is on track, right? It's a tough injury to come back from. Yeah, right. Back injury, his swing. But, you know, he started the season, I think it was a miscut. And then he went to T34 at the Amex. And then at yeah. Farmers, he was T13. So, I mean, yeah. that's trending in that's the right incredible. direction. That's incredible. For just three yep. turns back from being gone for a whole year, that's incredible. On a, on an injury that you know it's like a knee injury for running back in football or a wide receiver, right? Where it takes a while for you to get confidence to be able to cut to be able to use that leg, and so when you got your back injury with a golf swing, I mean, I don't, there's not many other big muscles you use more than your back in the swing, and he seems to have figured it out. I, I mean, you want to talk about bad starts, and I'm interested to see if you think this is a if this is kind of the going to stick is Ricky is off to a terrible start. 
Well, I'm, like, I've what what is his numbers been? You have him in front of you. I do not have yeah. Ricky's numbers sit in front of me. He um, he's been fifty sixth, missed the cut, tied for forty seventh, and missed the cut. I mean, that's not great for a guy that's trying to build on what I would call a comeback year last year. Right, the resurgence of Ricky. Not a great start. Yeah, that's a really good point because I think there's a lot of parallels between him and Jason Day, another guy who really fought hard to come back and win last year like Jason Day did. But Day's had a good start to his season. And and if you know, you're right, Ricky's been floundering a little bit. But I also think that this is gonna sound really bad because I think Ricky's awesome. He's always been a little bit more, you know, flash than substance, you know. Um and he has branded himself brilliantly. He he's taken Puma and rocketed up, you know, the the apparel, you know, charts on tour. Um he had Ten years ago, kids literally dressing like him. He, he inspired Herrick Styles. I mean, the guy has been so influential to the game. It's hard to knock him. But let's be honest. He's won like five, what, five times or six times now? I mean, he's basically, I don't know. I mean, Nick Nick Taylor just won He was starting to become events. like the the Smiley Kaufman of that that group, right? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And we Love see Ricky Smiley. doing broadcast next. Smiley's great. He's do, he's a he's an awesome broadcaster, which is another huge plus for the start of the season that we don't have to listen to Paul Eisner or Nick Faldo anymore. Man, man, oh, God. it is. I can actually turn the volume on and feel like oh, I'm getting something from Trevor Immelman. And like Kevin Kisner has been a revelation uh, for NBC yep. the last few weeks. And I actually, um, you know, we'll get into the waste management here in a second. But I actually uh, watched the waste management on my phone last night during the Super Bowl. So I have a phone here. Usually the waste management finishes right before the Super Bowl starts. I team off early, but because of the weather, um, they had to push back the, the second round and then it went into the third round. Um, so I didn't hear the audio. And so I got up this morning specifically to rewatch the last nine holes and hear the audio. And I really enjoyed the audio, um, because I felt like for the first time it was really additive instead of like, I just got to turn this off. I just can't listen to the, the same banter. I thought there was really good analysis. I thought Kisner was really good. It's just like, it kind of reminded me of Tony Romo when Tony started broadcasting when Tony cared. football. When, when Tony he cared. Instead of losing his, he lost his mind yesterday in the Super Bowl. I hope Kisner doesn't go the same route. Um, Tony was a lot yesterday in the Super Bowl, but man, when Tony first came out as a broadcaster right off of his career, he was awesome. And I felt Kisner awesome. was very similar. Um, you know what's, what's kind of crazy? Is Kit, like, like Kisner's like, thir- like mid-30s, late-30s. I thought Kisner was like pushing 50. Yeah, like he, yeah could, no, he's, he could still be playing a lot of good golf, and he's already kind of. I mean, he started this with Barstool. And right. He was a big contributor there, and I mean, I think he sees the writing on the wall, and he seems like the kind of guy that's able to be pretty self-aware. That's like, you know, I can compete, but I'm not going to really compete. That's so right. Let's have fun with it. And he said as much, right? Like he's like, well, they pay a lot of money for twentieth. You know, he he said the yeah. term is he can't win. Like, I think they, I think the reporter asked him, well, then why do you play? He's like, well, they still pay a lot of money for twentieth. Like he's he's really realistic. He's like, okay, give me a match play tournament, I can compete in those, but that's only like one a year, which is a problem. Um, so I think he already knows what his retirement plan is, but he doesn't have to retire yet. He's gonna be playing next yep. week, and so it, it was cool to have him in the booth for a couple weeks this year already. All right. So when we get talk about the waste management, we are talking about a course that a lot of us are familiar with. I've played a number of times. I've never been to the tournament itself. If you played video games in the late 90s, 2000s, you've played TPC Scottsdale a thousand times on EA Sports, you know, PGA Tour Golf. Um, it's always fun to watch. Uh, it's always a big crowd. We know what they're gunning for every year. They're trying to get people in there, get it boisterous they like the interaction between the fans and the players last year during the super bowl weekend in arizona it just took on a whole new level of entertainment 
But this year, it feels like it jumped the shark. And we have to talk about the quality of the golf because it was awesome. I mean, just the ending of that tournament was electric. I had my phone um, in front of me during the, uh, like I said, during the Super Bowl to watch it. And I wouldn't ever do that. I would never distract myself from the Super Bowl to watch golf. But I could not miss the end of that thing. I watched, like I said, I watched the the um, back nine again this morning just to get the audio of it. Um, but you could not escape in social media just what it looked like. Obviously, the weather was terrible uh, and exasperated by the fans who had over-imbibed, who had been kind of titillated by the PGA Tour, who promoted this environment. Uh, and really, they cram a ton of people in there. And you turn into a, a tournament that Zach Johnson, you know, kind of blowing oh. his stack and uh, and then well. having an interview that really was kind of telling a little bit about, you know, himself more than it was about the the actual fans there, you know, Jordan Spieth being frustrated. Um, not surprising that Billy Horschel lost his temper in there. Um, a, a wholly different environment for these guys. And it's it's debatable whether this is good or bad for the tour. But, man, it's compelling as heck to look at. I don't think you want any sporting event where your fans are fighting. But, man, that's like NASCAR or NFL every weekend, and they have pretty good ratings. It, all right. I, I thought and I think that I'm a guy that knows how to party. I enjoy it. Okay. Yep. All right. I've seen it. I've I've wanted to go to the waste management. The whole getting there at like five a.m. throws me off. I, I have no desire to do that. So I've been drinking the whole day prior. It looked to me, and I think people that know me, you know me, would say, "I can't believe you think this." It looked out of control and not in a good way. Like, it, and I know social media, right? Nothing is sacred. Nothing right. sacred. Right. Everything's going to get posted. Every person that slips falls. But it, it looked like a liability, Josh. I mean, I was waiting for someone to die to get alcohol poisoning. I'm sure somebody got alcohol poisoning. But, you know, there's a line to me of like, we're here to have a good time. And it felt like, and I'm sure if you've been there in person, this has been going on for years, right? But it felt more in your face this year. Um, I don't care what Zach Johnson says. I'm not a Zach Johnson fan. I think it's hilarious that he was getting heckled. <laughs> I don't condone heckling people in their backswing, you know. But when you're walking down the fairway, in his quote, and I've got it here, it was, this tournament has been inappropriate or crossed the line ever since it's been on my tour. And this is my 21st year. Well, don't then, then don't play. Like, sorry, you can only play in so many tournaments, Zach. Maybe do something better at the Ryder Cup and you won't hear it. But I, I don't necessarily agree with what he said. But, I mean, they had to stop selling booze like the ticket they stopped letting people in this sounded like everything that people said live was going to be turned into what the waste management was while live came across as relatively civil um granted nobody was watching live but but i don't know man it felt like it was too much it felt like you need to ratchet it back um it used to be just like on tv 16 was crazy but when you'd watch the other holes it was a civil course. Like if I wanted to go and take my son, my wife, we could go sit down on three, four, five, have a nice day. It felt like no one was safe. Like right. no one was safe. It was. That's a, re- that's a really good point, Mike. Like you've removed the family element from that thing. You can't bring your kids to that event, especially on a Saturday. Now you just can't do it. Like it, it removes not. that. Um, but if, a- listen, if 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 that's the only tournament of the year where it gets like that. I'm okay with it. Like I, I think. Listen, I think there's a lot of things that are out of control. I think it's setting a standard, and where these guys are going to go out every year and try to ratchet up a bit. Um, 
But if that's it for the tournament, these guys can take it. And if you don't want to, don't play. It, that's it. And and that's the Zach Johnson thing. You know, well, you don't have to come here. You're, you are a master's champion. You could play wherever you want. Now, I did find it interesting in his interview that he said, I go there because I like the grass. The turf conditions are suitable for me, which I thought was really interesting. Like, that's how Zach is still making his schedule. Like, dude, you're 47. You're a multi-gajillionaire. Like, hey, pick your spots. If you don't like to go there, don't go there. You don't have to worry about grass anymore. But I, I digress. Um, I had a buddy who went uh, uh, on Thursday and Friday. He said it was just chaos those days. You know, the, a two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour line just trying to get into the stands at 16. They've literally just not just oversaturated that place with the weather, which was terrible, but with people. They just have too many people yeah. going through the turnstiles. And, you know, you get that many people in one space and you start stuffing them full of booze. Um, bad things are going to happen. And like you said, it's maybe, you know – the aggregators have given a lot of video clips of people behaving badly, you know, urinating into to piles, into holes dug into the desert and fighting and, and slipping down hills, which does look like a lawsuit. But I'll be honest with you. I've been to a lot of PGA Tour events. I've seen people pee in the woods. I've seen people fall down. You know, I mean, that's not unusual when yeah. you get onto hilly events and give people a lot of booze. What did seem a little bit over the line was the fans actually crossing over into the playing areas, you know, getting naked and rolling around in bunkers. Um those type of things, it's one thing to to make your, your presence known from behind the ropes. It's another thing to actually, you know, jump into the middle of the court while LeBron shooting free throws, if you will. You know, it's you, you got to find a way to mitigate the interference with the players actually trying to make a living out there. That said, the tour needs, they need to find a middle ground where the fans can be more involved in the events and they're not just passive observers. And that's what I think yeah. the tour is missing. I think that's what's the, it, if there's going to be a death knell of this thing, of this tour, it's not going to be the purse size. It's just going to be the fact that the, the younger fans who've been engaged on social media since they're, you know, could hold a phone, you can't expect them to now just show up at a PGA event or watch one on TV passively. It's just, there's no passive activities anymore. Everything is active. Um, you know, the, the passive routines of, of people our age are not existent in Gen Z. And if you're going to recruit them into your events, you know, they're going to want to interact and you got to channel that energy in a certain way. I, that, I got way too psychological there. It made for really compelling TV <laughs> and made for really it compelling memeing. Do you, do you think it took away from the product? I don't think so. I mean, you know, you, I, I love, there's several follows that have been great. You know, like Michael Kim has become a great follow on, on follow on X and, and Twitter. Home was always great. Um, Beyond On has become one of my favorites. And to a man, they all said they really didn't mind the environment. But, you know, I think, I think younger players kind of do want the energy. I think they get charged off that. Ricky has made that a thing. Like he's, he's putting the shirt on now, you know, you got Wyndham putting on, um, you know, McCarthy, uh, McCaffrey's Jersey. Like, I think they kind of do like that. I think you hit the nail on the head, maybe not every week, but this one I think is a thing they like, but I do think you're seeing more and more tournaments trying to emulate the one whole stadium thing. We talked about this last year, like at like 16 at TPC. I do think a lot of tournaments are going to try to turn certain holes into that experience. Um, you know, and, and I was at the FedEx last year for a few days and they tried to do the 11 out there to varying degrees of success. But, um, and I feel that's pretty healthy for the game because it does, it does let people channel their energies into the sport and the, and the players to feel that from the fans. Um, the masters, of course, it happens very, very 
you know, intuitively between the fans and the echoing. And um, it's one of the most engaged fan bases in all professional sports. But it, most well, events aren't no, like that. There's no phones. There's no phones. Yeah, you're right. Huge difference. I, Massive. I mean, listen, here, here's where I think the difference between the waste management and any other tournament that wanted to try to implement some sort of party atmosphere, right, is the waste management has turned into bachelor parties. It's turned. It's not about golf, right? right? I would argue that probably half the people that are stumbling around, you know, peeing themselves – couldn't even tell you how many clubs are in a bag. They're just there to party, right? Right. It's like people that come to Nashville just to party. They don't care. They couldn't even name a country song. Um, so I think that's where the, the waste management is, is probably going to run into some of the problems. It's not the golf fans that even if after a few beers, even after about 20 beers, I think guys like you and me know, shut up when someone's swinging, right? We know the etiquette to an extent. I think where the issues are going to come up are people that just want to go there and party and have a great time. Yeah. And I think it's okay once, maybe twice a year. But if other tournaments want to emulate that atmosphere, you know, I think they can limit it to a smaller scale um, and probably have success with it. And that's what kind of live is, right? It's kind of a much smaller scale version of that, you know, and, and you can still go to a live event. I'm sure I've not been to one, but I'm going to come to Nashville with you and go to one this year. But um, you can go to a live event, I'm sure. And and everybody's on the course at the same time and you're gonna have some space out there and there's not a thousand people crawling all over each other and you can kind of have that fun and it's not as disruptive because it's not 10,000 people doing it it's it's 150 and it, it feels like it's a little more controlled and in that way maybe Liv is is winning at that game a little bit better than the PJ Tour is yeah and I'll tell you though Josh the the live ticket prices and, and like packages experiences are <laughs> you wouldn't know they had a problem in terms of getting eyes on their product, like it ain't cheap, man. That's um, really in, important to note. I, I had not looked at ticket prices, but I mean, they are coming to Nashville, and I'm sure they're taking advantage of that marketplace. It's a, yep. it's a pretty saturated market. They love golf there, and they can probably get a pretty penny for, especially those, um, you know, the tiered seating where you can get into the the tents and get the free food and the free alcohol. Free, I say free in quotes, right? Um, because that's what really tickets are becoming. Like it's one price to get in the door, but if you really want to experience the event, you got to pay the extra to get into the, you know, the upscale, um, you know, the 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 upcharge yeah, like places. A, a skybox in Nashville, right. seventeen thousand five hundred dollars. Right, and and that's so. where when you watch the the waste management. You know, that place has become luxury box central. You know, you oh. look at the sixteenth, like even the shot down the eighteenth from the eighteenth tee box to the eighteenth green. It is nothing but luxury suites, and those things are. I mean, as long as the tour can get their money for those things, they're going to put up with the ridiculousness from the fans because that's what pays the bills. You know, it pay, those companies, the corporations, um, the the foundations, the trusts, whatever, putting up the sponsors, putting up the massive amounts of money to get those premium skyboxes and seatings. You're you're just gonna you'll take the good with the bad on that every single time. Yeah. Well, we've talked. I'm just looking at my clock. We talked 10 minutes about the waste management and didn't talk about who is probably the most clutch athlete in the world right now, it seems like, and that's Nick Taylor, who um, probably came to you know notoriety last year when he won his home country's Open, the Canadian Open, the first man uh, Canadian man since 1956 to win the Canadian Open with uh, in a playoff, okay, with a 72-foot eagle putt. That culminated when his fellow countryman Adam Hadwin getting tackled on the green by a security guard, thinking that he was trying to uh, to charge the champion with a bottle of booze. I mean, just a chaotic scene in Canada. Um, 
which may have overshadowed not, the not fact something that, you not something you say often, Josh. A chaotic scene in Canada. That, that's right, and and certainly it seemed like Scottsdale turned into Canada South with the weather. So it makes sense that Nick <laughs> Taylor would be the guy who comes out on top. Um, but his performance down the stretch, I mean, when you watch that tournament, you felt like it was, man, Scotty Scheffler is going to be there and Thagala might make a run and Spieth was hanging around and Taylor's like just kind of plodding along, but roundabout, like he wasn't, he didn't seem like he was going to be a real threat going into like the 13th, 14th hole. And then all of a sudden birdie on 15, birdie on 16, you know, par on 17, reachable par four, dramatic birdie on 18. And all of a sudden we have three birdies in the last four holes and we're in a playoff with Mr. Waste Management himself, like the guy who you felt like that tournament's built for, Chuck Hoffman. You know, 47-year-old, back brace wearing, birdie machine, Chuck Hoffman, who hadn't won in, since 2016, um, wearing, you know, Greg Norman shirts. It just was the whole thing. It was awesome. The Charlie Hoffman experience was awesome. But Nick Taylor denied him. It was a hard denial uh, with some of the most clutch golf I think we've seen Um my gosh, I don't know when the last time we saw someone pull off what he pulled off. Uh, how much of that were you able to watch? Did you, get a, did you get a chance to kind of take in not just the ridiculousness, but just the incredible quality of play for, for Nick down the stretch? Yeah, and uh, <laughs> you know, something I didn't have my bingo card, but I was toggling between that and Liv. Because Liv had you know a really compelling yeah. final round as well. And granted, the, the difference here is Liv finished on Saturday um, and the tour finishes on Sunday, but um, it was that last, what, five holes from Taylor? Like, those weren't like, oh, he drains a bomb putt. Like, what luck? I mean, he was nails. Like, he was committed to every single shot. There was nothing scared about him, playing like he had nothing to lose. And it's not like Charlie, you know, gave the thing away. No. Just, yeah, you know, I'd love to hear what Taylor's caddy said to him because the guy was just like, you know what? Let's go pedal the metal and he hit some shots, stuck them close. And I was like, man, I mean, he really didn't have any real crazy putts um, that he had to, to go after. Like, yeah, there was were good putts. Within. It wasn't a 72 yeah. foot Eagle putt, you know, but he, he made a couple 10, 12 footers, yeah. but he, I mean, he, man. he made them right in the middle of the hole when he had to, he also got a little bit lucky. You know, he had balls bounce out of the fairway bunkers on 18 <laughs> twice, um, you know, through in the playoff and, um, or twice in the playoff. No, once in regulation, once in the playoff. He hit the fairway the other time in the playoff. He hit, they played 18 twice. Um, and people are going to say, too, like, oh, well, did he win it or did guys like Scheffler give it away? Um, he won that thing, man. Like, he won that thing. He went out there and he won it. He won it. And it's a tournament that's had a really good pedigree of winners. You know, Scheffler winning two in a row, Matsuyama. I mean, there's some really good players who have gone to, to Scottsdale win. Your boy Kepka, who, who showed up like a man and chipped in a few years back. Uh, when Liv was just a twinkle in all of our eyes, and, and Brooke was the bell of the ball. Um, but, man, I, Hardy has won four times now on tour. Um, you know, he's won at Pebble Beach. He he won at Canada. He won Sanderson Farms in 2014. He's, he's, been, he's been on leaderboards for nine years. He's probably the – no offense to Mike Weir. He's probably the best Canadian golfer of all time at this point. I mean, I don't know who's up there with him. You know, I mean, Cam – we all we all like to wave the uh, the Cam Young flag, but you know he, Nick Young's had a much better career than Cam Young has. Even though Cam Young's superpowers with the golf club are are not in doubt, um, Nick Nick Young made six million dollars last year, finished twenty fifth in the FedEx. I mean, this is a dude who can flat out golf his ball and close it, and he's a guy like we're going to talk about major championships a lot this year and big golf tournaments. 
he's a guy like I would not be shocked. Just if he is sniffing anywhere near the leaderboard in a major, um, he's gonna have a chance, dude. Like he's he's really impressive. And you mentioned hearing his caddy. Like it was nice that they actually got the microphones on them in the 18th fairway for the first playoff hole yesterday. You could hear them talk and the caddy hype him up. And Young was just so hyper focused. I actually felt bad for Chuck Hoffman. It felt like and replaying it this morning and watching it, it's like oh. I don't think Hoffman had a chance. I think Young was not going to let anybody but you know himself win this tournament. It's fun to watch, but it begs the question: like, what do these guys have to do to become everyday names, right? Yep. And yep. there's a marketing engine that goes in behind it, right? But you've got a guy like Dunlap who came out one, and then you put a lot of kind of muscle behind him, and he goes out and finishes dead last at Pebble. So it's but that's the nature of golf, right? Like a guy like Nick Taylor. He's going to have to be there on the last day of a major tournament to start to really gain some momentum in terms of, you know, guys recognizing his name. Just I'm not talking about guys like you and me. I'm talking about the casual fan that's tuning in that when they see Nick Taylor's name, they're not going to go, who? What? Yeah. Um, it's the only way the tour is going to survive, right? They have to make these guys stars. They, you know, if they're, if they're big names, especially, you know, and this is all speculation. I know nothing. I know less than nothing. I'm, I know I don't want to start rumors I don't want anybody to think I know anything, but I was a little dubious when Hovland and Xander both withdrew from this event. Now, for various reasons, the weather was looking crummy, whatever it might be. But man, you start thinking like, uh oh, are those guys making, you know, the journey uh, to the, you know, the bank? And well, that's the reality, though, right? Like any of these guys now that withdraw from an event, you're going to be like, whoa. I mean, it's it's not like a it's almost not an if it's like, oh, they're gone. Yeah. And I mean, TBD on, um, you know, Shoffley and um, who did you mention? Hovland. You, you're, Hovland. You're FedEx champion. And like losing Hovland would be a massive deal because he is a guy who's like popularity would swing people to live just like Ram is. I mean, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, but, you know, you, you watch tournaments like this, like Scottsdale, and you see the Nick Youngs of the world up the leaderboard. And you're like, the tour has to, to keep this kid. They got to, they need to get him a, a social media team. They have to get him doing what, what Michael Kim is doing. And, and some of these guys who are building their online profiles and who are getting sponsorships and are getting, you know, Homa made this, you know, this is what made Max Homa as far as his availability to um, the, the fan on social media. It just feels like and a, I think a, what, must, yeah. a must do if you want to keep the tour relevant. And I think full swing on Netflix will be instrumental in that, right? Like that's a proven model, right? Yeah. You you start with the F1 series. Like, I mean, I didn't know a thing about F1 and now I don't miss a race. I know every single driver. I know their backgrounds. I know, you know, intimate personal details. It, it, and then you got that look, you know, that kind of behind the scenes look last year with the golfers they featured, but they were mostly everyday names. I think Sahith was a name that, that, and you see now, like Sahith's one of the more popular golfers, I'd argue, on tour. And I would say you could trace it back to not his success on the course, but the way he was portrayed in that show, how great yeah, his family is. I'm raising like, my hand right now to that. I, I'm literally root for him because of that show. 100%. Right. And now season two is coming out, and and there's still big names, but you've got to start injecting some youth into it. And whether they perform or don't perform on the course, if they're entertaining on the show – People are going to follow them. People are going to set them on their their you know apps to follow what they're scoring, and that's what you got to do. Like, and, if, and these guys have to stop worrying about looking like choir boys. They just have to. Like, 
I know they don't want to make their moms mad. I know that their their wives expect something of them. But what makes F1 Drive to Survive so interesting is like when you hear them getting mad and cursing at each other. And, you know, you have um, Gunther, you know, who just lost his job with, with Haas. You know, God bless him. Uh, cursing, you know, nonstop. And, you know, the drivers having their rivalries. Uh, those things are compelling. And they, they do let you think like, man, I just... Max Verstappen is is a machine, or um, you know, I can really see why. I don't, I'm trying. To, I'm grabbing at names here, but I can really see why you know you get behind um, Ferrari and hate Mercedes, you know, because of the way they're portrayed. Whereas you know, you look at the Spieth and Thomas episode of Full Swing, and you're just like, ah, oh, yeah, okay, they're buddies playing golf. You know, it, you want to get in the weeds, like the Brooke Kepa episode. You got in the weeds with him, and you saw like the how tormented he was. And then it made the PGA thing so relevant. We talked about this a lot last year. Oh my they, gosh. They've got to, yeah. these guys have to take the filters off and, and let, let people see it. But also these are, a lot of these guys are just rich kids who grew up at country clubs, Mike, and you and I know guys like this and, um, and they are just kind of not that compelling outside of their incredible talent. You know what I'm saying? Right. I'm not like saying you're Thomas asking, is compelling, but well, I'd, I'd argue he's really not like, I think, the nice guy for all you know, counts, but like it, there's certain guys on tour and I would argue that, you know, they're the ones that probably have the spotlight and it's a combination of their talent, um, but also their upbringing that, you know, JT doesn't have an edge. Like if JT came out and started chirping when and he has chirped people before, it's like, yeah, I don't know, dude, like get a grip. Like he's capable of chirping, on. but you know, he kind of chirps himself really hard and he'll throw the F bomb out there. But you know, he also is the but first guy. But it's JT throwing the F bomb. Yeah, no, he, he's the he's the first guy to hug someone when after one of his buddies wins a tournament. You know, it's like, you know, I like I like the cold shoulder guys. Like, you know, what happened to Paul Azinger wanting to punch Sevy in the face? You know, like where those days go? And I feel like these guys are too buddy buddy. Um, well, you saw it play out right with Kepka and DeChambeau, and and I think it took on a life of its own. But there was uh, at its core real animosity there, like. You, you could Brooks clearly couldn't hide it. And right. DeChambeau was either, you know, aloof or didn't care, but he, he knew it. Um, you got guys like Cantlay that, you know, I don't want to play with him. He's too slow and this stuff. Like it you're not going to survive if there isn't some sort of rivalry, animosity, especially with this younger generation. And right. the full swing platform gives these players an opportunity to build a following whether it be as the hero or the villain. But at the end of the day, it's going to make them money. Yeah. It's going to make the tour better. It's going to make the tour better. Um, putting, a, putting a pin in uh, the waste management, uh, great tournament. You know, I, I think it's an underrated course. I think the back nine out there is fantastic. It's fun to watch in person and on TV. Um, I don't understand why they put the pin on the back left of 17 on Sunday where you can't really drive it and get it back there. That makes me so mad. I wanted to say that, so I put, I'm on the record for that. Not Put that pin front left or front right where guys can make eagle on 17. Uh, I don't know why they stuff it in the back left. They can do that on Saturday. All right, never mind. Um, and then Scotty's putting was atrocious. I think he wins that tournament by five shots, but whatever. Um, it was a great event, it, and it was compelling. And you know what? People are going to watch again next year just to see – what happens, and I think it's a net win for the tour, even if some of the publicity was bad. Like I say, all, all press is good press, you know, and I think that's what you got. Um, oh yeah. The uh, 
the other golf this weekend um, <laughs> with the E9. We have our own Twitter feed. The E9 podcast has a, a Twitter handle now. Uh, you can get us at Free Drop Media and follow us on Twitter. Uh, but uh, one of the tweets out there was about uh, Christabel Dale Salar, who uh, may have broke golf temporarily. Looked like he might shoot 54. Ended up shooting 57. Uh but only finished fifth at uh, the Corn Ferry event. If that tells you how good the young players are, this dude shot 57. He had rounds of... Mike, I don't know if you, you don't pay attention to this, I, because God bless you, you shouldn't, even though you are a, a co-host of a, a nationally renowned golf podcast. But this guy, Cristobal Del Solar, had a round of 57 and a round of 63 in a Corn Ferry event and only finished fifth. What so were his other tells, two rounds? Uh, one was a 69. Nothing wrong with that. And he had 75. Um, which is not great. Yeah, not great. Um, but only only finished fifth. Uh, the event won by Kevin Velo. Um, so that's the Corn Ferry event this week. And then, uh, as you mentioned, a really, really interesting leaderboard at Live this week uh, with DJ uh, winning the event by a shot. Um, you saw some pretty good golf. Uh, Taylor Gooch, who was a monster last year on that tour. Peter Ulan uh, on top of the leaderboard after kind of getting a lot of criticism last year for the quality of his play. Um, and DJ kind of getting um, getting a little one in, one in on everybody, saying, I didn't play golf for four months, and I can still come out and win an event against some of the best players in the world. At the same time, they're in Vegas, same place as the Super Bowl. Same time, John Rahm, a little bit perturbed at the shenanigans you find on the live tour, especially the music and the fan. And um, John didn't seem like his new home was suited all that well to his hyper competitive uh, tendencies. And well, John also topped the crap out of a ball. No, he shanked it. It was the shambo. It went straight it. right. Yeah, it was shambo topped it and Rom hit it straight right. And, and Norman actually had a good line. He was on the broadcast, and everyone's kind of tiptoeing around, like, "Oh, did he shank it?" And he goes, "Let's just call it what it is. That was that was a brutal shank. Uh, <laughs> that was a brutal shank. It was a really fun like thirty minutes of golf because there was like a it was a six way tie for first, um, and it was big names. Deshambo was there, Rom was there, Gooch, DJ, Matt Wolf, and guys just started falling apart left and right. Matt Wolf um, made an appearance, right? He finished fourth. I don't have the leaderboard in front of me. I think he finished fourth or fifth uh, he, in that event. He did. He finished fourth, which in, – After, after Kepka shamed him and kicked well, him off his team. He, he, didn't ch- he, didn't, he didn't kick him off. He traded him. That's right. It was the I'm most sorry. lopsided trade in sports history. And, and if the Live Tour wants to lean into this team free agency trading format, you can't have trades like Taylor Gooch for Matt Wolf. Yeah, no bueno. Like straight up. Uh, I think that was Bubba doing doing a favor to Matt. Um, but, you know, for those keeping track in the clubhouse, Smash GC won their first team event in live history yesterday um, or Saturday. Uh, Good for them. Captain Mike Brooks Kepka. Enlighten the listeners and maybe your co-host who the captain of Smash GC is. Uh, that's Mr. Brooks Kepka. Okay. Kepka winning one. Good for Brooks. He is. <laughs> yeah. Um, His I wife mean- had a week, too. She was... Uh, what a week for the Kepka family in Vegas. She's so, in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue with some really interesting outfits, if you haven't seen them. I have, my wife is actually the one who brought those up to me. And my wife doesn't usually pay attention to those things, but even she was like, did you see Brooks Kepka's wife? And, the, and so when my wife is bringing it up to me, I know it must have made a splash somewhere on social media. Uh, I didn't see even it, Even Brooks. It was, it was, I mean, it was better suited for the bedroom. Uh, but Oh, boy. And Brooks, who who is a good husband, good man, good father, amazing golfer, supports his wife, 
at some points during the photos where they were together, you could tell he was like, this is too much. Like this is our, our son's going to see this someday. Yeah. Um, it was just funny to see him a little rattled like that. Um, Kepka becomes more and more likable. I feel like all the time, even though he had some ridiculous shenanigans last year at the open, but um, anyway, it, Let's talk about Liv for a second, and I think it's important. I'm going to give you my take, and I promise this early, uh, and we're not going to go forever in this. Usually in our podcast this year, if you're a new listener, we're going to introduce some features um, that will kind of – we'll talk about top 10 tour players, top 10 masters finishes. We're going to try to like engage the listener in, in kind of talking through kind of some um, hypothetical scenarios. But I think right now we have to talk about the state of golf. Um, I love golf. I love playing golf. I love watching golf. I love talking about golf. I'm that's why I'm doing this. Um, but I don't love live, and I I didn't last year. And uh, as a longtime history teacher, um, I didn't like the smell of the the Saudi Arabian money. This uh, you know the piff the 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 idea of a fund controlled by an authoritarian government um, that has some a really bad human rights. Um, you know, track record, financing and controlling a major sporting tour. That said, I have changed my tune a little bit on Liv, and I'm going to tell you why. First of all, it's really disingenuous for Jay Monahan and the tour to use 9-11 and use all the political BS to shame the players who matriculate over to Liv who took on enormous amounts of life-changing money that they didn't have to work hard for. They might, you might say they already felt they earned it from their status in the game. Um, and to, to shame them using their relationship to the Saudi government. And then within just a couple months, flipping the script without even telling their own players that they're now in negotiations with that same uh, investment fund, the public investment thumb, and Yasir about joining forces with Liv and the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. That that one for me, I I couldn't reconcile that. It was hard for me to defend liking the tour and not liking Liv if I was going to play that game when the tour was just like, meh, we're just mad someone else was kind of taking our cookies and and, and working a business model that, uh, you know, it turns out we could probably, if not replicate, we could pretty closely simulate like they're doing now with the SSG and then Rory, who I, I did side with a lot. I think Rory has a lot of pretty good ideas. I think he comes up across being a little bit condescending sometimes. But Rory reversing his position on it and, and trying to find a middle ground with the guys who, who did make their way over to the Live Tour. I mean, Mike, if you're Harold Varner, man, and someone says, I'm going to give you what you might make in your entire career if you play your tail off, right? If you, if you go bananas... I'm going to give you that up front. And then I'm still going to let you pay play for an exorbitant amount of money um, 15 times a year. And I, I know, man, it's got to be hard to look at that uh, and say, well, I just don't like your politics and say no to that money. I, I, I can get why Harold Varner would do it. I don't always get, and I can get, I can get why Lee Westwood did it, and Ian Poulter did, right? Those guys have probably run their competitive course. You know, they're they're cashing in on a name that was built through Ryder Cups and through solid but not spectacular play on the PGA Tour. I couldn't reconcile the Cam Smiths, um, the DJs, the Kepkas, you know, the Brysons, 
it, it did seem like a bit of a betrayal until John Rahm went. You know, John Rahm, who pledged fealty to the tour, John Rahm, who was the face of the tour, who's the Masters champion. Um, and him going over there was essentially telling Jay Moynihan, your behavior was so egregious in this, in the way the players were removed from the process, um, that is almost akin to, to malpractice when it comes to how you treat your players. And Rahm making his presence felt on the live tour has given it credibility in a way that Cam Smith didn't to me, the way that, because it came after the fact. It came after this thing, right? It, it, he, was the, he was the point of no return for me where Lib has to be, you have to reconcile with them now. You have to look at that and go, all right, they're a major player. We can't, you can't have, man, Mike, you can't have Joaquin Neiman winning the, against the type of field he beat, you know, at Mayakoba and go down in the official world golf ranking, you know, and not get entry into major championships. You can't have that. It's outrageous mm-hmm. to me that Joaquin Neiman, who is probably one of the top 30 players on the planet, can lose spots in the world golf ranking by winning an event that John Rahm's involved in and Brooks Kepka's involved in and Tyrell Hatton now is involved in, another name that went over there. So for me, live is relevant. It has to be relevant. I don't buy the format. I don't like the shotgun start. I don't like the closed loop it is as far as getting people in and out of there. I certainly don't love removing the meritocracy that I think will make golf great guys, you know, scraping through Monday qualifiers just to make a cut and then string together a few cuts and then making a career out of it. You don't get that on live. It seems to be like it's trending towards the top 1% tour, but they can't be ignored anymore. And, and, and watching them play at Mayakoba, and a little bit that I saw of, of this past week, those dudes are good. You can't deny that. <laughs> and whether you should be tuning in to watch them on Sundays, up Saturdays is up to you. But the fact that the golf world has tried to ignore it for so long, that can't happen anymore. It's They cannot be ignored. And I think there's got to be a, a path forward for those guys to, if not be allowed back into tour events or signature events, at least have access to the biggest non-PGA Tour tournaments, including the, you know, the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup, you know, on the planet. I think there's have to be. There's my, I'm getting off my soapbox. Um, I still don't love the format. The team stuff doesn't make any sense to me. But man, I think the golf is good. Um, I think they could tweak some things, get rid of the music. Um, but I really do think that the tour can't be ignored anymore, and it shouldn't be. There you go. Is that a good me enough me a culpa? Do you feel good about that position I'm taking, or if I've gone too far in the direction? I was hoping you would still hate it because I think it would create better content. I but still... you're a man of integrity. <laughs> I... Listen, I still, here's the thing: you, you look it. around other sports, right? You I hate it, Mike. I want you to know I hate it. I hate it. Oh, but you don't. But you I, don't. I do. because... but no, don't. Now, don't swing me too far the other way. I really, really, I hate it exists. I hate that it's a. It's a function of the world we live in that we have to have this thing. Um, and I could, I don't, we're not going to get deep into the politics of it, but I think it stinks to high hell. But at the same time, like, man, we got Saudi oil on our tankers that move stuff across the seas. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a hypocrisy to say that. You, you mean, you fought in the Middle East, you know, over there, and, like, you know politically a lot more than most people do. And, you know, you can also see that there's a lot of hypocrisy for people who want to criticize it for what it is. And I can acknowledge that. Um, 
I still don't like it. I really don't. I hate that it exists, but I understand it's there and we have to, we can't ignore it. Yeah. And let me be clear. I don't love that this, this has created a division of best players in the world are not on the same tour. I can't stand it. Um, but you know, you look at other leagues like the NFL has had the USFL. They've had multiple spinoffs that have just been running the ground and it's because they can't get the quality of play and the quality of player to participate. Everyone wants to be in the NFL. And I think when you saw the first wave of live players defect, it was, you know, similar. It was Phil. There were some big names, but they weren't putting like Phil was not at the top of his game, right? John Rom is, it, you could argue, the peak of his game. And he is still at the peak of his game. So now you have a rival league that has incredible players that can't be ignored. You can't write them off. Like when the odds come out for the Masters, Rom's going to be up there. Brooks is going to be up there. DJ is going to be up there. You know, these guys are phenomenal golfers. And to just, I understand everyone's going to have their motives for why they won't like it, whether it be political, personal. But if you're a fan of golf, you can't exclude these guys from competition. And I think, listen, you can say what you will about the Saudis. There are definitely a lot of warts on them. But man, I think no one looks worse than Monaghan in the tour. Not the tour players, but the leadership to, to go to the extremes that they did to discredit live and then to turn around overnight and say, well, actually, let's talk about being a business and then to go and disappear. And, and he'll claim it was a health condition when, you know, it kind of the, the time to pay the piper in terms of getting up there in front of the tour, in front of the media and answering to it. I mean, how that guy. Well, I mean, I know how he has a job. It's, you know when you involve, you know, SSG and these business guys like Tom Warner and John Henry, you know, it's corporate and that's right. They're leaving him in place because he's able to do their bidding. It's the same reason Roger Goodell has a massively high paying job, even though all the players despise him, you know, because he does the bidding of the money and that's the way the tour is going, you know, and this, you've, you segued perfectly into the second part of the, why the PJ tour is got, I'm not saying blood all over its hands, but they should pretty much duck in shame is because yes, they took the bailout from the SSG. Um, it's probably a group of sports owners. As if you guys don't know who it is, a conglomeration of sports owners. You mentioned a couple of them already, the, the Red Sox sports group, John Henry's group, uh, uh, Fenway uh, sports, a uh, number of others, Anastasio who owned the Brewers, all these guys um, who have now invested in the PGA tour, uh, who have offered shares of that investment to the players um, specifically, higher numbers of shares to those who, players who have been at the top of the FedEx points list longer. Um, this is just basically replacing the PIP, which was the way of doing this in a nonprofit world. So anyway, all that said, it just, it, it just seems so hypocritical. I still, the, the fact that the Saudis came out this week and basically told any of their journalists or um, anybody who would report on the investigations from the U.S. Legis legislature into the relations between uh, the PIF and the uh, PGA Tour and said they'll throw them in jail, that just highlights just how they do business. And if you're John mm -hmm. Rahm, you know, you just kind of sold your soul to that, and that's the world you live in now. So if you're going to sigh and make faces during the, the live events, you're going to get a letter, um, a cease and desist pretty quickly from these guys. And you don't want a cease and desist from the Saudis. It's not like getting a cease and desist from, you know, you know Taylor Taylor and Warren's law firm here in, in Hoboken, New Jersey. That said, the tour doesn't look good here and, and they did what they had to do to survive. They probably will still negotiate some sort of agreement with um, the PIF. Well, they, Josh, they have to, right? Like they have here, to. Here's, 
All right, we're talking about some of the maybe the, the more brutal aspects of the Saudis. And I think that it falls in line with the fact that these are people that do not like to be cut out of deals. And this deal with the SSG, while there's still this teaser of, well, we can still do deal with the PIF, I don't think it's any coincidence that the Saudis are still throwing what, 400 million at John Rahm. I don't think right. it's any coincidence they're going to start to still try to pillage the best players from tour. Right. Because you know, hey, listen, you don't want to do business with us? You don't want to work something out? Well, we're going to keep taking your players and we're going to leave you guys with a product that no one wants to watch. And yeah. regardless if they want to watch us or not, we're going to have the best players in the world. And you know guys like John Henry, these the SSG, you know, investment team, they're in it to make money. They're not in there for the, you know, the goodness of the game. And if they don't have any players to go out there that can bring in numbers, you know, you can argue the sponsors will start to disappear. You can argue that the revenue is going to drop and then they're going to have to fix it. Yeah. So the longer they don't cut a deal, in my opinion, you're going to keep seeing these guys move over to live because they're going yeah. to start, or excuse me, keep throwing money at them. That is going to make guys like John Romp say, well, 400 million, that's generational wealth. That's, that's great, right. great grandkid wealth. And, um, and John so Romp's. Yeah, and you've John got Hovland and Scheffler, or excuse me, Hovland and uh, um, Xander. Yeah, that are, who knows, right? Right. I mean, the rumor mill's turning, but at this point, would you be shocked? No, and the fact that they're going, in fact, that Rom went is a pretty good indication that we're not very close to a deal, right? If they're close to a deal, why would Rom go? He's going to get the money at the, at the back end anyway if they're close to a deal. Him going now is like, I don't know if I trust this thing's going to happen, or... Some people would say, well, Hatton went because he knows a deal's imminent. He's going to get the money now before, you know, they, they kind of find a middle ground. All that said, I just don't know if there's going to be a deal made from a legal standpoint because the U.S. government might not allow it. Um, the SSG has bought some time from Moynihan in the tour. You know, you know, $2.5 billion is not an insignificant amount of money. Just not, it's not what the Saudis have. They can keep the tour running long enough and the tour will always be the tour you know a great mm -hmm. piece i think it was rap reporter death year i'm really really doing a bad job of citing my source here but a great piece on the idea that people love the pga tour because they love the venues they love mirrorfield village and they love bay hill and they love you know um riviera and pebble beach and they they are familiar with the events and local populations you know flock to the john deere and that will never change. They'll go no matter who's playing in those tournaments as long as they are quote-unquote tour pros. Um, so there's always going to be a market, but not a market that can compete, like you said, with $400 you know, million for John Rahm or that has you know $500 billion in disposable income to throw at this thing if they want to. Um, the PGA Tour just can't compete with that. And at some point, they're going to pay, they're gonna have to pay the piper, right? The bill's going to come due on it. And... They're gonna they're gonna hemorrhage players if they don't figure their stuff out. And so there's, we thought it was gonna happen a few weeks ago. Remember you and I texting about big news coming something, and really it was just this SSG deal. There was nothing with the PIF. There was nothing saying okay, we're gonna have a a, a way for, um, you know Hatton and Cam Smith and these guys to come back and play PJ Tour events again. We didn't get that that news, and it was very disappointing. It felt like just the rich getting richer and no end to the fans' problems here, which is what we're really down to. As a fan, it's really frustrating that you can't see these guys play against each other. That's really the problem. Yep. You're not going to see Rory play against John Rahm um, at you know Wells Fargo, and that's really frustrating. But as long as you can see him play in a major, and that's what's you're going to have a large contingent of people that are still going to say, I'm willing to go to live if I can still qualify for a major. That's right. 
And and if you're the majors, and if you're probably the Presidents Cup and Ryder Cup, I think they'll change the the European qualifications. But if you're those places, you're like this is a cash cow for us because it is the one stop shopping for the best players in the world now. And um, they need to find a way to get the Joaquin Neiman's eligible for those things because I think by all means they deserve to be there. Uh, it's gonna be awesome when they are all together. Um, Let's talk about one more thing that's going to be awesome, Mike, before we sign off on our first podcast of the year, and that is Tiger Woods, the big cat, with his brand new brand, uh, Sunday Red, um, and the logo just released today that you have, <laughs> you sent me immediately after the logo was released, you sent me the logo for the Bonefish Grill. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you're a listener and you haven't seen that logo, go look it up. And I, at first I thought he's insane. And then I looked at him like, yeah, these two things are a lot more like than they need to be. Uh, Tiger may have swung and missed on the branding here, but he's still Tiger Woods. And he's going to be in L.A. And Riviera is going to feel like the first real event of the year because the big cat and the top 70 players eligible on the PJ Tour are going to be there. And I'm pumped. How are you feeling about it? You know my stance on Tiger. I I don't necessarily like the guy, but I will be tuning in. Yeah. Uh, I will be tuning in for the first two days because he won't make the cut. Uh, well, now, and I'll still remember, watch the end because Riviera, that's a great tournament. But. That's a great tournament. And there's only 70 players in the field, Mike, and 50-plus ties make the cut. And the yeah, top he's not 10. Make the cut. Come on. He's not come, you think cut. he's going to be one of the bottom 20? Oh, Absolutely. I hope Tiger Absolutely. hears this. This is bulletin board material, Tiger. I'm going to send this to him. Mike Nealon says you're not making the cut, Tiger. And he doesn't like your logo. He thinks, you, he thinks you're advertising for the Bonefish Grill on your shirt. He thinks you're sponsored by Bonefish. What do you, th- what do you say, Tiggy? Yeah. Do you think – here's another question for you. You think, uh, you think Genesis is going to give him a vehicle to, to drive around again or are they <laughs> oh, – no. Tiger, Tiger's oh, games no. really kind of went off a cliff. Oh, Mike. I, I'm not even sure we can – I might have to edit that out. Actually, no, that's fantastic. That was awesome. Listen, it, um, look, you can't deny the Tiger, the impact of Tiger at the tournament, right? Everyone's going to tune in. The, the, the juices are flowing. Everyone's fired up. Uh, I hope he does well just for the, the, the content piece. But, I mean, how long are we going to keep hoping this guy is going to return to form? He's not, yeah. man. Like, I mean, When's the last time the... he walked? You're Even right. if he makes the cut. Like it turns into like he made it at the Masters. It was hard to watch, and and I'm just one of these pessimists that think the guy starts to you know when he starts to play bad, all of a sudden the limp becomes a little more pronounced, and you know the the announcers start to talk a little bit more about oh how his body's been through so much. It's like well half that's self inflicted, but um, I don't know, man. Like I get it. He's the host of the tournament. He has to be there. I want him to be there. Uh, but when does it become more of a novelty and not a competitive? discussion right and i think tiger will be the last one who wants to be a novelty to his credit in his mind he thinks he can win now there's a lot of guys jordan thought he could win with the freaking charlotte hornets you know i don't know at a certain point some of these guys just need to be you know escorted quietly out of the room um but tiger does seem to be one of those guys if he doesn't feel like he can win he's not going to try i think he's really skilled back his schedule but i'm with you i don't think he can win do I think he can compete for a few days and give us some thrills? Yes, for sure. Do I think it's really important to have him playing in events so kids can see him? Because um, he does. He is the needle still. I mean, there's just no way around it. But at the same time, 
those who think realistically that he can win on any level on a PGA Tour event simply because of the, the requirements of him walking. I, th- I think yeah. the quality of golf, but I just think, man, you've you've played four days in a row and ridden in a cart, and you're in pretty good health. Your body hurts, man. It's not as easy as it looks. Imagine walking, and Riff is not the easiest walk up and down, especially that, that 18th and 9th and first holes. Man, it seems highly unrealistic he can he can win again on the PGA Tour. But, man, it's going to be fun to watch him try. Were you surprised with the uh, the breakup with Nike? No. I think it had gone as far as it could probably go with yeah. the TW uh, brand. And I just think Nike had just they'd stopped trying with their golf line once Tiger had stopped being competitive. Like, everybody's like, – this is not news. I mean, guys just kept showing up in the same outfits for tournaments. We even made fun of it last year a couple times. Like, so-and-so's wearing – we were at the Masters last year, and guys are wearing the same – exact same Nike outfits on the putting green. It's like, oh, they're not even trying anymore. They're just literally shipping the same stuff, and these guys are looking like fools. That doesn't mean Jason Day, who went out and signed a deal with, I forget whoever, and shows up in, like, in camouflage, you know, like, combat pants, you know. Looks like he's out of MC Hammer music video. So bad. It doesn't mean that's the way to go. But I just think Nike's probably more interested in in maybe other sports at this point and and just not spending the money on a guy like Tiger. And, And Tiger's brand is... It's still valuable, but it's not Michael. It's not Air Jordan. You know, it's just not. Yeah, and it could have been though, right? Like that's where I think Nike missed the boat is is if they had really tried to make Tiger's brand the Jordan brand. Where, you know, I think we all know Jordan's a Nike brand, but there's a lot of people out there that think Jordan's a standalone brand. And if they had done that with Tiger, I think maybe things are different. You're right, and they tried um, with the TW line. They really did. It just never quite. They never quite committed to it, like you said, in the same way yep. that they committed to like the Air Jordan. You watch the movie Air, and you're like, the Tiger never got that treatment. He was always going to be inside, you know, the the house and not able to operate outside, you know, the Nike house like like Jordan did. Um, that's new. Now he's in the TaylorMade house. Now he's the, the it's, Tiger by TaylorMade. It's where we are. Uh, I can't wait to see what it looks like. And uh, that said, Mike, talking about what looks like, what is your golf? summer look like what are some I'm, I'm curious a guy of your status uh, in golf a man who is almost one player of the year yes, at his home yes. club what does it look like for you what are, what are our goals here this year what if we, we ask all of our our golfers to set goals what's mike neal's goal all right josh so here's the deal man i go and compete for player of the year i come in second right and people want to say that because I came in 51st last year that I started not caring, that I got distracted, I took my eye off the ball. The fact of the matter is, I had a kid. Oh, boy. And I have a wife. Oh, boy. I don't think I need to say much more. No, fair. Having a, now, having a one-year-old and trying to be player of the year, it's hard to do. It's, it's almost an impossibility. But I'm not a man of excuses, Josh. So what okay. I did in the offseason is I've worked out a nice deal with my wife where I'm now able to fully commit back to winning player of the year. So if you want to talk about my goals for 2024, it is not only to compete for player of the year, it is to win player of the year at my club. End of story. Do you know what one of the most exciting things about this podcast is going to be? It's going to be tracking this journey over the next 30 weeks to see if you can accomplish this. You, You were at the precipice. You climbed the mountaintop, Mike. And they didn't let you look over, and you got you got cut out of a member guest. You got there's things that happened that you no were excuses. wrong, Mike. And, and I yeah. think you need to come back and, and show who you are. 
And I can't wait to come alongside you and uh, support you in this um, endeavor because I know how important it is to you. It's also it ridic- ridiculously fun talking about it. I will keep the audience updated. There's nothing I want more than um, free cart tickets and some shop credit. There you go. Uh, but we're going to do it, man. Like, I'm, I'm all in. I'm shop all in. Credits. I can't Turn wait till I can. Uh, yeah, we're going to get the, the, in the few weeks, probably the, the golf ball logo customization deals, you know, four dozen for 175 bucks. And on every one of those balls, I'm going to put player of the year, 2024, player of the year, 2024, player of the year, 2024. Uh, will you send me a picture of those? We're going to put those up on the uh, social media feeds. I really want the people to get behind this. Uh, we might start Absolutely. a GoFundMe, a little GoFundMe for you here. Help, helping uh, you, you know, get over the top here. Yeah, we'll give the golf genius links when I'm playing. <laughs> oh, that's so great. We certainly will. Um, well, How about you, man? That, uh, my my goal is if I play any golf this year is to play pain free. I've had some really bad back problems. I spent four days uh, playing in in the the club trip. A lot of our old buddies came down and visited me here, in my new home in Florida, and we played for four days. We played 117 holes in four days, and uh, I couldn't get out of bed this morning. So I'm I'm hoping I can recover in time to play a little golf. My goal is to see you, see my buddies back in Nashville in person, to watch a lot of golf, um, to get. Uh, the Enon podcast, the top of the mountaintop, just like you're trying to get up there um, and to provide great content for our listeners. And that said, that's going to be the end of our first podcast. One down, a bunch more to go. We hope you are willing to sign on uh, for the season with us. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button, whether you're on Amazon or you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on YouTube uh, or you're on Spotify. We hope you can uh, follow us along for the rest of the season. Mike, I'm looking forward to speaking to you next week. We're going to revisit um, Riviera. and We have a little special uh, discussion about uh, some of our favorite tour players coming next week as well. So until then, anything uh, to the people before we move on, Mike? Commit to your shots. a boy. Commit to your shots, and we commit to the uh, the Enon Podcast. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks for joining us, the Enon Podcast. This has been the Enon Podcast. A production of Free Drop Media.